0: People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to
1: be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Today's guest on HealthGig is Dr. Erica capis Dr. Erica is committed to helping her patients function more optimally in their lives. She includes medication when appropriate, lifestyle changes, nutritional changes, and therapy into treatment. She also has an interest in de-prescribing and works to help patients optimize medication regimens or come off medication if indicated. She is currently seeing adults and she is awesome. And Dora and I are thrilled to have Erica on HealthGig today.
2: So welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you guys having me
1: on. Thanks for joining us. We are thrilled to talk to you about the work that you're doing and the cutting edge work that you're doing in psychiatry. So can't wait for our listeners to hear this conversation.
0: But we love to start our podcast by finding out a little bit about you. So just share with us, Eric, a little bit about your life and where you were brought up so we can get to know you a little better.
2: Sure. So I actually grew up overseas. So my dad was in the government. So I moved around a lot growing up. We settled in Northern Virginia. I've been into nutrition my whole life. I was the kid in high school who was always telling my parents about new nutritional diets and fads and things like that. So this has always been a part of my life. I then went to University of Virginia for my undergrad degree, where I studied literature. And after that, I went to medical school at an osteopathic medical school. So I am a DO. I thought that I would go into sports medicine at some point. So in DO school, we learn more about manipulation techniques as well as just conventional allopathic medicine. But then I went to do my rotations and I fell in love with psychiatry. And I went to Walter Reed for my adult psychiatry residency. And then from there, I was commissioned as an army officer and spent four years at Fort Stewart in Georgia. So I just got out of the army last year.
1: Oh, Oh, wow. wow. And practicing psychiatry? Yep.
2: I was, I worked in outpatient settings, inpatient settings. And for a while, I actually was the behavioral health consultant to the general, just to talk about behavioral health policies and different suicide prevention measures and things like that.
0: That's so important in the military. So we thank you for your service there. And thank you. Just appreciate that a lot. Yes. Yeah. So now you're in private practice. And yes. Yeah. So explain to our listeners, what is integrative psychiatry?
2: Yeah. So integrative psychiatry, which is really the hallmark of my practice and sort of the backbone of how I practice, is really a mix of conventional medicine mixed with complementary therapies as well as lifestyle improvements. So it's it's looking more like the whole body medicine, I would say. I think psychiatry gets a bad reputation. We do it partially to ourselves of just sort of being medication pushers and, and just prescribing medications and things like that. And so this allows me more time with my patients. Often we get to the root of different issues when we look at lifestyle and behaviors. And then also we include judicious use of medications as well. So obviously I still utilize medications when warranted, but it's not always my first go-to. And and a lot of times I take people off medications or or lower their doses as well. So that's kind of a broad overview of what integrative psychiatry is.
1: If I come in, to see you. I'm coming to see you because I have something that I need to talk to a psychiatrist about or a psychologist about. Yeah. And how does our first session go? Do you have an intake form or what is it that you want to know about us?
2: Yeah, so a lot of it is I really want to know everything, but we can only, we, we can only fit so much into one hour, I guess. You know, a lot of it is me uncoding people's behaviors and lifestyles and sort of how they are just basically functioning in the world day to day. And so, I think a lot of people don't see the connection between behaviors in everyday and mental health, or they don't see how the food we eat can impact mental health, or the substances we put in our body or not put in our body can affect mental health. A lot of it is me uncoding some of these behaviors and figuring out what is causing dysfunction. A lot of times, we try behavioral changes, we try lifestyle modifications. There are people who can't even get to that point unless their symptoms are dampened down a little bit. So we want to give them the best toolkit possible. So we will, you know, sometimes start medications initially, but I would say for a lot of my folks, we start with lifestyle changes and sort of addressing behaviorals that may be maladaptive as well. And so the hour is spent me getting to know them in a really casual manner and sort of me getting to uncode their behaviors day to day. And I really wanted to create a place where people feel heard. And so I think a lot of times people go to their doctors and they don't feel like anyone's actually listening to them. The way I've set up my practice, it's like I have time on both ends of the appointments in case things go over. Yeah. There's no rushing in or out. They have my focused attention on things. I would get the feedback from a lot of my patients as they really feel like someone's listening to them.
1: So you start with behavioral changes and can you talk to us about maybe what the top three are that we all might have?
2: (laughs) Sure, so for a lot of people, they um, don't see how diet impacts mood. I'm a big reader and studier of nutritional psychiatry and people like Dr. Drew Ramsey, He does amazing work in nutritional psychiatry. He's kind of like the father of nutritional psychiatry in New York City. I say that he's the father of nutritional psychiatry, but he's like my age. So I guess like, (laughs) you
0: know.
2: That shows how young
1: it is, right?
2: Yes. And then Dr. Hyman, who has the Ultra Wellness Center in Boston, I follow a lot of his work as well. And he talks a lot about how food can impact mental health as well. But a lot of folks don't know that the gut is the second brain. And so what we put into our gut, 20% of it gets taken by the brain and neurotransmitters are built on nutrients. And these things all affect the way chemicals are built in the brain. People sort of don't see like, oh, there's a connection between my diet and my health. If I eat too much refined sugar, I may have anxiety symptoms that are worse. These types of things. I really dig into people's diet and what they're eating and how we can make small improvements to help them feel more vital as well as, you know, I would say the second top thing I see is a lot of disordered relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't understand that these two drink a night studies that come out, these are typically funded by the alcohol industry. And I say, you know, don't, it's not a health food. <laughs> the chemical impact that alcohol has on the brain can really worsen anxiety symptoms, depression symptoms, long-term. And so you know, I tell people discipline and boundaries around this behavior can be a huge act of self-care because you're telling yourself, I care enough about myself to not put substances into my brain that are going to harm me long-term. So that's probably my second biggest one.
0: So what are some of the mental health issues that you see plaguing people today?
2: Yeah, I would say I see a lot of anxiety disorders. Depression as well, You know, I, I typically say that like they're sisters, you get one, you get the other. It just depends on which one's driving the car. So a lot of people will have anxiety with secondary depression symptoms, depression with secondary anxiety symptoms. Those are probably the top ones that I see. A lot of insomnia, sleep difficulties, which often go hand in hand with the other two that I mentioned. I do have some patients who have you know, bipolar disorder that's stable and you know, we keep them on medication and they're doing well with lifestyle management. But I would say the anxiety is probably one of the top ones that I see right now.
0: How hard is it to get to the root cause of the anxiety and the depression?
2: It can be tough. We all have heard of the term defense mechanisms. I mean, people have defense mechanisms up so that we really don't get in to see what's going on and they work as hard as possible to avoid whatever's causing them distress. I'm a big proponent as well of sort of Buddhist principles of sitting with the distress, observing it. We all have a seat of consciousness plus like the narrator of our life and the narrator you don't have to listen to. We all have a silent place inside of us and that's where the answers are. I mean, that's truly like sort of what I believe in terms of Buddhist philosophies and this type of stuff. I would say that many people struggle with getting to the root of it. And some people it could be situational stressors like oh you know i'm going through a divorce or i'm having financial issues and so this is causing me great uncertainty which is causing me anxiety other people have de facto anxiety disorders where they have intrusive thoughts coming out of nowhere they constantly think something's bad is going to happen to them it's more of a generalized anxiety disorder versus a situational anxiety so there is a distinction between the two
1: and even for the general ones, if it's not situational, do you approach that too through diet and behavioral changes and medication? When does it come in?
2: I try to treat everyone and like, okay, we're gonna work with lifestyle changes and behavioral changes. A lot of times it depends on the functioning. If if patient's not functioning at all in their day-to-day life doing basic things, we need to start thinking about medication to make faster changes. But that's not done in a vacuum. You know, I tell people this medication has limitations. It's not going to get you up and exercising and doing the heavy lifting, I would say. And that could be the most difficult part of of recovery and treatment is like doing the heavy lifting. Right, and exercise, talk
1: to us about exercise. Oh my gosh, (laughs)
2: exercise. My old phrase is like, exercise should be seen as a medication. I agree. I mean, just for aging purposes alone, People age better when they're bitter and they're exercising and they feel healthy in their body. When people feel healthy in their body, they feel better in their mind as well. And I tell people you should treat exercise the way you treat the medication or the way you treat a morning cup of coffee. If your brain is telling you not to do that, that's the narrator. You ignore that and you do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, so it's extremely important. Multiple studies have come out showing that exercise has similar antidepressant effects as some low-dose medications.
0: I love that you call it the narrator. I remember Dan Harris called the voice in the head, the asshole <laughs> in your head. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that.
2: Is that in 10% Happier? Yes. 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 I love that book. I love his story too. It's a great
1: story.
0: It is a great story. He came on our podcast. He was wonderful.
1: Let's talk about diet, the role of sugar. And, you know, Doro and I really subscribe, and we're assuming you do too, to bioindividuality, that each yeah. one of us are completely different than somebody else. So how do you look at somebody and how do you make those suggestions? And what would you tell people to do on a daily basis, diet-wise?
2: I sort of start with the basics. I find that most people, I assume, know the basics. And I find that a lot of people don't really. And I just because I may know what makes people healthy or lose weight doesn't mean that everyone has this education as well. So I've started to recognize that more that a lot of people are struggling with how to eat properly for themselves and what's going to make them feel the best and lose weight or whatever other goals they have. So really, I start with the basics. Like, are you eating enough? I find that a lot of women specifically undereat in an attempt to lose weight, and they're not actually getting the nutrients they need. Micronutrients are important for chemicals in the brain. They're important for just us functioning in general, and we need to be eating more to get those. Also, eating less, the body is sort of going dormant in some ways because it's like, well, I got to hold on to the fat that I do have, <laughs> given that I'm not getting any food. And so that could be a struggle for some with weight loss. But really, I just start with the basics and putting together a plan of like, okay, are you getting enough greens in the diet? Are we getting soluble fiber in the diet? Do you have protein sources that you're getting, whether if you're vegan, vegetarian, if you eat animal protein and what that looks like? What about hydration? Are you staying hydrated? Which is very important. What is the relationship with alcohol? Again, a huge part of a lot of people's life in the evening is grabbing two glasses of wine. like That could be a problem how much refined sugar are you eating? So I kind of start with just the basics and we make little changes one at a time.
1: You know, maybe we could talk a little bit about hydration. Yeah. You know, it is so important and Dora and I talk about this all the time. We know it, but we even don't think we drink enough water on a daily yeah. basis. Can you talk <laughs> about it and the role it plays in our body? And Dr. Hyman is so about hydration. I know.
2: I know. I'm, I'm constantly trying to remind myself to drink more water no, too. I no. mean, this is always, I'm like, where's the gallon jug? I need to be <laughs> drinking it once a day. But I tell my female patients from a vanity perspective alone, it just makes your skin so much better. You can notice it. You know, I was reading an article by Lauren Hutton, who's the supermodel who is now, in, I think, in her 80s and she's aging beautifully and very natural. And she said that she drinks like two gallons of water a day wow. just to maintain, yeah, it's a lot, to maintain <laughs> kind of her skin as well as just how she feels. It improves her joints. I mean, it improves like the mental clarity. People say they have this sort of diffuse
1: brain fog. It can really improve these types of symptoms as well with water too. And a, this idea of everybody drinking eight glasses kind of doesn't hold up, doesn't hold water because, right? Yeah. <laughs> Some people run exercise really hard. Other yeah. people might be on medications and that kind of stuff, right? So it's this whole idea of just knowing your own body. Yeah, absolutely. The way you think it needs to be. And
2: there's sort of like an intuitive, once you get used to what makes you feel the best, it's sort of an almost intuitive, you know, intuitive hydration, intuitive eating. And these are concepts that some people are like, whoa, are you t- you're telling me I could eat whatever I want. It's like, well, no, but once you start eating what makes you feel the best, you want to continue eating in that way. And same with hydration and sort of decreasing caffeine use through the day because most people are subsisting on, you know, eight cups of coffee a day and that kind of thing.
0: So once you put people on this lifestyle program, how quickly do you see people coming off their medication?
2: The case by case basis, some people will start, you know, small dose of medication at the same time, and will start lifestyle changes too. And, and they want to stay on the medications for six months, which typically if they're doing well on it, that's I say commit to six months, and then we cycle off the medication. Some people feel like things have gotten a lot better, and they want to come off if they've come to me already on a medication. So I would say it's definitely on a case by case basis.
0: Right. But your point is, Lifestyle is critical. To oh our my mental gosh.: health.
2: It's critical. And you know, one of the things that got me into this in the first place was that after the Army, I did work for a big company that focused on mostly telemedicine, virtual visits, and I was seeing so many patients a day and factory work, factory psychiatry, as I call it. I never had a chance to talk with my patients about these types of things. I never got a chance to talk about lifestyle changes. I was pretty disenchanted and getting burned out myself. And then I would get feedback from patients that they didn't feel heard or that felt like they were getting medications prescribed or, you know, just coming for refills. That bothered me, which is why I said, you know, I have to change the way I practice medicine because this is not going to work. And I don't really see myself making as big of an impact as I want, or I want to help people help themselves as well.
0: So does that mean you have to build in time to listen? to people because that's yeah. a big big part of it. Does that mean you see less patients or what kind of sacrifice is that for you?
2: I probably keep a smaller patient panel in my practice just because of the way I have things set up as you mentioned I do spend more time talking about diet, lifestyle, you know, as well as the medical side of the house. I have developed a place that I want more of like a concierge approach to medicine. I'm very accessible between appointments. And so I probably keep a smaller patient panel and I'm okay with that. I don't really want to be seeing people as fast as humanly possible. You know, medicine today, the push is towards productivity as quickly as possible. And sometimes at the harm of patients not being heard or not really understanding what they're doing. Mm-hmm. If I had a penny for every time I heard someone say, I was given this medication, but I'm not really sure the side effects or why mm-hmm. I'm taking it. I mean, it's just like, really? You're taking a medication for your brain and no one's mm-hmm. explained to you the side effects or why you're taking this? That's disconcerting to me.
1: Yeah. What do you see as a role with supplements? Are you a person that likes supplements? And do you talk to your patients about that and certain ones?
2: You know, I think there's a definitely can be an overdoing of supplements where I have some people taking like 800 supplements and I'm like, "Uh, maybe don't take that many. It's a lot of money to spend on supplements. (laughs) I am a fan of supplementation, especially if people aren't getting enough from their food, but we can get a lot of these vitamins from our food. If you're eating a really well-balanced diet, eating enough while adding omega fish oil can be really positive. Adding vitamin B can be good for anxiety management, magnesium for sleep. You can be getting this from food as well. You know, it just depends on how people are eating and what they're able to eat
1: enough. Do you do blood work when the patients come in? I'm still actually studying because
2: my practice is fairly new. So right. I'm actually still working on setting up some functional medicine labs with one of the labs in the area. But that is something I will be starting and offering to people is just, you know, functional medicine labs or just basic lab work.
1: That's great. So
2: Where are you?
0: I'm in Old Town, Alexandria. Okay. We have a lot of listeners from the Washington, D.C. metro area. So I know they'll be glad to hear that that's where you are.
2: I see a lot of folks from D.C. that come to my office. Virginia, obviously Maryland. So Old Town's nice and
1: easy to get to, I would say. Mm So you have your DO, so your doctor of osteopath specializing in psychiatry. Is that how it is? Okay. Yeah. So
2: DO is similar to MD allopathic medicine. We just learned osteopathic manipulation in medical school. It sort of lends itself more to sports medicine, but I went to residency for an adult psychiatry. Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. So that's sort of your specialty as an uh, yes. osteopath, your specialty is in adult psychiatry. That's correct. Yes. I, d- okay, I do
2: perfect. see some adolescents, but I'm not a child psychiatrist.
1: We think osteopaths are so cool. <laughs> we think <laughs> there should be more osteopaths. Thank you. <laughs> because as you say, you look at the whole body, right? So you can manipulate the body or do you do that at times?
2: I don't because in psychiatry where, you know, touching oh, right. patients, not really, you know, kind of breaks <laughs> the therapeutic rapport and it's really not what we do, but I thought I was going to go into sports medicine or physical medicine or rehabilitation, something like that. They do a lot of that in family practice or PM&R, those types of specialties. And it's very effective. I've had it done to me before. It's super effective.
1: Yeah. It just makes sense. Something that Dora and I are really, again, believers in is that the body is so much inherent wisdom. And that it does speak. Do you believe in that as well? And can you tell Absolutely. us your <laughs> Oh my gosh,
2: yes. One of my patients who actually, you know, follows Dr. Hyman too, was like, Dr. Hyman's like healing himself, you know, and it's true. Like if you listen to the body, give it what it needs, it can do amazing things just in, from a longevity perspective like living to older ages in healthy manner is different than just living with, sort of with chronic illnesses and so it's amazing what people can do just from aging better by treating their body better by nourishing the body by doing all these things that the body needs it's actually fascinating how the difference in aging between very similar people
1: No, it's really interesting. And I think you hit it earlier and you said it again, the importance of nourishing the body and this idea that we don't eat because we might want to lose weight or we don't eat because of whatever, but you're saying you got to eat, right? I mean, you got to eat.
2: I sort of found this woman on Instagram. I don't spend a lot of time on social media, but every now and then I'll get on there and see what's going on. I found this woman who, you know, sort of turned her life around at the age of, Early 70s through weightlifting and nutrition. She's 76 now. She's just, you know, super healthy. She got off all of her medications. She was on medications for metabolic issues. Obviously, everyone is in a different situation. So, I'm not saying that like everyone's going to get off medications once they eat healthy. However, she was talking about prior to losing some weight and feeling better about herself, she was barely eating. She wouldn't eat throughout the day and then she'd eat at night sometimes. And it was almost like her body was just sort of holding on to this excess stuff. And once she started nourishing her body properly, not only did she feel better mentally, you know, she leaned out, you know, she really felt more energetic and alive. Like she's 76 years old and she's just kind of like living her best life. And I'm like, you know, people have a lot of time to really nourish the body and improve their quality of life with that.
0: When you were in the army, tell us what that was like. You mentioned you were in an advisory capacity, but were you ever treating the soldiers?
2: Oh, yes. Most of my job was treating soldiers. I was active duty. So my first job was at an outpatient clinic at Fort Stewart. And then I was working at some different clinics that were embedded in different brigade combat units. So it's just sort of different units of Fort Stewart. And so most of my job was treating soldiers. It's very tough mental health in the military. There's not enough people providing care. So I would say access to care is sort of an issue with, you know, getting enough people in to treat the soldiers and things like that, especially with mental health crisis going on in the military, I would say, yeah. with high suicide rates, suicide. and things like that. Yeah. Suicide rates, you know, are high. They're high, you know, in different places, I would say. Why do you think that is? Well, that's a complicated question. That's like the million dollar question. One of the issues is sometimes, in my opinion, some folks come into the military from difficult backgrounds. Resiliency can be a struggle at times, and you're sort of expecting that the military may be a respite from that, and the military is a tough environment for that type of thing, I would say. There's a lot of demands, daily demands, not always so nicely said, and it can be tough. And if you're working from a place with lack of resiliency, that can really be difficult to tolerate and so i would see a lot of younger folks who were struggling with the demands of the military and they also came from difficult backgrounds so a couple cards stacked against them a lot of the patients that i would see sometimes like they wouldn't necessarily have a mental health background if if there were suicide attempts it wasn't like they had a lot of interaction with psychiatry there was typically impulsive moments of relationship distress, you know, combined with substance overuse alcohol, and that can lead to impulsive decisions. That's tough. And that can be hard to stop because it's like, you know, we, you don't go home with people and that kind of thing. So those behaviors can be tough to target, I would say. And that, that's really the struggle that the army is having. How do we target these behaviors before they happen? But mental health in the army working in it is a tough environment, I would say.
1: Yeah. yeah. You really cut your teeth there, so to speak, I would imagine, right? I did, yes. You got a real close up on how you could make a difference with people.
2: Yes. And it, it's funny because I was thinking back to when I was first started working there I, at Fort Stewart, I actually ran a nutrition class for combat vets who struggling with PTSD. I took a lot of principles from Dr. Drew Ramsey, who I mentioned before, and Dr. Hyman. And I talked about nutritional psychiatry You know, PTSD is not by any means an inflammatory disorder. That's not what I'm saying. But how decreasing inflammation in the body can help with symptom management, it can help with anxiety management, it can also improve different things in the brain that can lead to improved symptoms as well. So. That was kind of my start with that.
1: Introducing them and showing them food can be medicine. Yeah. So so
2: one of of the guys in the group said, hey, uh, if I pay you, can you go to the grocery store with me? And I was like, that's an interesting business idea, but no.
1: (laughs) That is. So you're saying you've got to learn what foods to eat that support you. But what you were just saying about inflammation, we're actually having a conference, Achieving Optimal Health Conference, and our chief medical officer is talking about inflammation and how it is the body's alarm system. But how does that work for anxiety and depression? Like how does that play in?
2: Acute inflammation is obviously a protective mechanism for the body. We have cytokines that increase in the body when there's some sort of damage to tissue or other infections. These are wonderful, amazing parts of our body that can lend to healing and that kind of thing. Chronic inflammation, which is typically the result of diet, lifestyle, can not only cause metabolic issues long-term, but studies are now showing that chronic inflammation can lead to changes in the brain, changes in the amygdala. The amygdala is where fear response is present. And so for folks with PTSD, for example, we really want to make that as healthy as possible. And also chronic inflammation, systemic inflammation, I would say. And that's typically through diet and exercise as well, decreasing overall inflammation in the body. You know, some people, I would say a lot of sort of the conventional medicine folks, sometimes they don't typically agree that nutrition is as important as it is. And that's okay. But you can decrease systemic inflammation through changes to diet.
0: In your busy life of taking care of everybody, <laughs> all of us, how do you take care of yourself? Thank you for
2: asking. Uh, I actually, a little bit about my journey recently into health and nutrition, I was not super focused on it when I first started in the Army. I was very busy with my Army life. I had just moved to Georgia. and was trying to fit in there. I was also going through a divorce at the time, so I was, um, had a lot going on in my life. I think that catapulted me into, like, I want to feel better physically and I want to feel better mentally as well. I want to feel sharper. And so during that very stressful time in my life, I actually started reading more about nutrition, nutritional psychiatry. I talked to one of my friends who was in a bodybuilding because she was very obviously, you know, careful about what she ate and sort of focused about what she ate, I would say. And I started going to the gym every morning at like 4 a.m. because I wanted to work out before I went to work. And I also changed my diet. So I started eating more, first of all, which was something I realized I had been doing under eating. Um, I started eating more vegetables, eating a lot of fish. I started eating less fried foods and really changing the way I ate, the way I saw food. I also significantly decreased my wine intake And as the months rolled by, I just felt so much better. I felt like I was handling the stress of my life better. I was showing up to work better. I was really showing up for the people in my life in a healthier, better way. And so that's really what led me on the journey of like, oh my gosh, I wish everyone would feel this way. And also I kind of came to this thought that like a lot of people are walking around not feeling good. And so when you start feeling good, you're like, I never want to lose this feeling. And I mean, like really feeling good from a physical standpoint, and that can bleed into all aspects of your life, I would say. And so that is how I take care of myself. I go to the gym. I am a big proponent of women weightlifting just because I think it's so beneficial for us. It's so also good for anti-aging properties. You don't have to be a CrossFitter, but I mean, just like a little bit of gym time you know, I'm I'm very mindful and intentional with my diet, at least I try to be. And I do have days where I, you know, go out and splurge and that type of thing. But I find that for me, discipline and, and sort of structure is an act of self care. And that's what I try to tell other people as well.
0: It shows in the work you do and how you help other people. It's your, you. your healthy self is shining through.
2: And that's another thing you bring up a good point. Like, you know, I read this article from another doctor that says, you want to see that your doctors are doing what they're telling you to do. Exactly. And I'm thinking like, I can't tell my patients, like you need to decrease this type of behavior or improve this or do three times a week, 10 minutes on the treadmill, like just start there and not do it myself. And I know how hard it can be to change behaviors. And so I can appreciate that it's not as simple as like, okay, let me just go down and get this amazing workout. in. I tell people start even just putting on your workout clothes. It's like day one, you know, like little by little steps to get you in that direction. It's not all or nothing. So you don't have to be a CrossFitter to just go to the gym and do 10 minutes on a treadmill, that type of thing.
0: It's so true. But yeah, you don't want to bump into your doctor on a smoking break or something. (laughs) That is very true. You're walking the walk, which is so inspirational for everyone. Yes, Erica,
1: thank you so much for joining us. We love this conversation.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I could talk about health and nutrition
1: for days. <laughs> us too. So you'll have to come back. <laughs> I will. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha,
0: And I'm Doro.
1: Be well.